Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome, sisters and brothers, to another episode of AFT in Action. My name is Jan Hockadell, your State Fed President, and I'm once again co-hosting this latest episode. Today, in addition to talking about past the past legislative session in 2021, we're going to be talking about the current developments in the contract negotiations with our state employee locals, which have been very, very different this year. And I am so pleased to have Kathy Fisher with me, who was just elected to serve as president of UConn's Professional Employees Union, or UCP, and for as a VP for AFT Connecticut's executive board. Kathy, you have a long list of previous titles with UCP as vice president, chief negotiator, and as a member of the grievance team in your executive committee. Tell us, how did you become a union activist? That began before um, I actually joined UConn. Um, I started my career as a community educator and advocate for the sexual assault crisis services for Connecticut and learned very quickly that helping people to find their voice or being a voice for folks was extremely important. And when I got to the University of Connecticut, I was the first time in a union environment and found an opportunity to join the grievance team, which was right along my mission of helping people to find their voice. And so I started in that and was encouraged by others in leadership as well as other members to get involved and be able to make a difference. And 19 years later, I'm still involved with the union. That's fantastic. And I know you've been um, an activist in previous CBAC campaigns, and you're now at the table, ongoing negotiations. Um, I know you can't go into details, but tell us how it's been different this time around than in the past. It's actually been quite different. Um, I would be used to being treated as an equal at the table, um, to having civil conversations, and it's been challenging to say the least, Um, and the approach being more, frankly, anti-union, proposing things that would gut our contract and language that's been in place for decades. Kathy, thank you for agreeing to co-host with me. And to join us in this conversation, we also welcome Representative Mike D'Agostino, who has been representing Hamden since 2013. He also serves as the Assistant Majority Whip, the Chair of the General Law Committee, and serves on numerous other committees. Um, But he also works as an attorney in a private practice. And I have to add, he is one of the strongest advocates and supporters for labor. So we are so fortunate to have you with us and to talk about this past legislative session. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I should add to my my resume, uh, right? The the CBAC legislator who brings out all the contracts. Exactly. Everybody always looks at me and goes, "You're the chair of the General Law Committee. Why are you bringing out all the bills?" Well, I tried to learn and, and understand, as you know, I've tried to meet with all the different unions and understand where they're coming from. And I think that that certainly has helped in pre- presenting the different uh, the different contracts that have come to the legislature. Absolutely. We, we so appreciate it. So when you joined us last July, the 2020 legislative session had just um, adjourned because of the pandemic. And this year, you and your colleagues held a full session, so to call, but it was 
anything far from regular. Can you just share some of what that experience was like this year? I, I will say in terms of public engagement in the committee hearing process, doing hearings by Zoom, I felt we actually had a lot more public engagement. People didn't have to wait at the legislature for hours upon hours to testify. They could be in the comfort of their home or wherever they were. So I actually felt like we actually had more public engagement. And I hope we actually continue to do public hearings with a Zoom option. Um, that said, you know, the chamber, the, the legislature itself, the House, as you know, that's where things get done. You're in the on the floor with your colleagues. You're talking about bills. Um, that was still not the same because we had we were we were at the Capitol building, but we weren't really in the chamber uh, on a regular basis. And I did miss that. It was I was able to go in every now and then. You could go into the chamber, but they they kept the staffing and the population of it to a minimum for obvious reasons, for safety reasons, and I understand that, but but that was the one thing that I missed. I hope I hope soon, I hope next session we'll be back to normal and we'll all be in there together uh, on a more regular basis. So there were pros and cons. And the public policies impacting state employees was extensive this session. Um, first, thank you so much for being the House champion um, on the new law codifying public employee union rights. This was really just about access. You know, when, especially when new employees come on board, giving you access to them. Who are they? Here's our information. It was frustrating to keep hearing during the debate on that. People saying, oh, you're, you're forcing people to join a union. No, that's not what the bill does. That's not what it did. It simply made sure that people had information available to them so they could make an informed decision as to whether or not they join. And what we've seen here in Connecticut is when they have that information, they elect to join and elect to stay, uh, which I think is wonderful. It's a testament to you all and, and, and the information that you've been able to get out there. But that's all the bill did. I, I, it was very, I, I didn't know how to respond like the, the sixth, seventh, eighth time somebody said that. Oh, you're forcing people to join. No, nobody forces anyone to join. It's an election made after an informed decision, informed, when you look at all the information available to you, and that's all the bill does, was just was part of that, making sure people had information available to them to make those decisions. It was as simple as that. Great work. Terrific, thank you so much. Well, and then there's the new agreement bringing additional state employees into our sister AFT, local, the Administrative and Residual Employees Union, better known as A&R. You remember the last session before we adjourned, we did, what, six or seven of these uh, uh, new bargaining units joining or, or accretions. Um, we didn't have as many this year, but I was glad to see that this one went through. And, and again, on all of them, including this one, you always get, how can we afford this? What people need to realize is, is that there is a reserve. We, we, we know as, as the state administration, the legislature, we plan ahead for um, evolutions to each contract. And there's a reserve set aside in every budget. There was two years ago. There is this year uh, for exactly this sort of thing. And it all stays within budget. This is not an addition to the budget. It simply comes out of a reserve account that we already have set aside. I think there's actually, we actually ended the year with still money in that. So that's that's good planning by the state, by the legislature, by the governor's office, by everyone. And then there's the task force the legislature created to study the retirement cliff um, expected to hit the state workforce next year. 
Yeah, I, you know, I am just, I don't think people realize the impact that's going to have on their daily lives. You've got, you've got hundreds, if not thousands of state employees who are, we've already started to see the retirements come, come through. And, you know, again, I hear the gut reaction, oh, that's a good thing, right? We want to shrink the state workforce. Well, first of all, the state workforce has shrunk dramatically over the last 10 years. And the retirements you're going to have now, VOED teachers, for example, uh, you know, who's going to teach that next generation of um, plumbers, electricians, all of our vote? Who's going to teach these people, right? Uh, and when you're losing experienced teachers and you've got young uh, uh, laborers who aren't getting into that field because they're going out, and rightfully so, they want to start their career and not get into teaching right off the bat, you're, 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 you're really hamstringing um, our entire VOED system. That's just one example. Nurses, uh, other teachers, as you obviously well know with AFT, um, you, the whole backbone of state agencies, when you lose people with that institutional knowledge, and then at the same time, what we've seen is, is obviously a reduction in, 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 in benefits to attract people to those fields and not commensurately raising wages, you're not going to get people into these fields. And I'm telling you, the public doesn't realize what that's going to mean as an impact on their daily lives. I hope um, there's very few civil lines to a pandemic, but I, but I hope people have realized how much we depend upon state services during this pandemic. And when you're losing that kind of institutional knowledge, it, it really can set the state back. The state employees unions right now are going through contract negotiations. And a year ago, the issue was politicians that were asking for those um, raises that the state employees got that they had previously negotiated. And today, the issue is uh, the governor, the administrator, who's ever making the decisions on the, these negotiations are really not coming to the table with fair proposals, especially for, you know, the wages and things like that. Um, and our contracts have expired as of last month. So how do you think as a state legislator that we can play a constructive role in these negotiations? So the individual contracts obviously have already expired. Those expired June 30th of this year. And then you've got the separate piece, the the retirement and health care piece, the, the CBAC piece, which was extended previously and now ex expires in 2027. The last time around when we did this, this was under the Malloy administration, there ended up being a grand bargain. It was, we'll open up, all, all of the wage and hour contracts were opened up. The administration and the CBAC bargain and all the bargaining units agreed to open up the retirement piece and, and do a grand bargain uh, around both wage and hour extensions and extending and the retirement uh, package and piece and the health care piece, all with, with really struck very impressive, heavily negotiated structural changes across the board on all of those pieces. That's what happened last time. And to be fair, that took a while, right? That was also extended. Those contracts had, had expired. I think it took at least another year, year and a half for that to be worked out because you're dealing again with three dozen different contracts and retirement and healthcare benefits that benefit all state employees. Um, I, I, I'm still hopeful we'll get to that same place. I think it behooves everyone, you guys as well as the state, 
to um, end up in that place where there's a where there's an overall negotiated solution. And right now, as you mentioned, you're still doing you're you're still on the stage of looking at each of the individual wage and hour contracts. Um, I think it's still it's still believe it or not, even though they've expired, I think it's still early days. And my hope is that everybody's going to get there eventually. So my background as you know already, is in advocacy and activism. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what the rank and file union members can do to be supporting their local negotiating committees. It's always important for rank and file members to get to know who their legislators are. Uh, they, should, they should know who their state representatives and state senators are and have a dialogue with them, ask to meet with them, organize and have a local meeting with those legislators. So when whatever comes up before the legislature, whether it's individual contracts being presented or a grand bargain under CBEC, the legislators are aware of how that impacts people in their district. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, one of the one of the most important things I've done in my legislative career is, is, is going out and meeting each of the individual bargaining units, learning what each of them do, having a deep understanding of all the different services that are provided. Um, and on a much more local level, that is critically important for your members to do. You know, have that dialogue with with the legislators. I can't tell you how many of them don't have a have a have an understanding of um, the different span of of state services that are provided. So I, I think that's that's critically important. Something they should be doing. That's that's really helpful. Um, and as you know, um, state workers have been doing, you know, worksite informational pickets. We did one in May and we did one in June. And then this um, past month, CBAC did a press conference at the Capitol. And members of CBAC continue to plan actions and, and build on that momentum. Even if other lo local negotiating committees file for binding arbitration, we need to move the administration closer to our proposals first. And that won't happen if members aren't showing our power in numbers. Eventually, whatever that agreement is, whether it's individual agreements or an ultimate grand bargain, get presented to the legislature. And as you know, I mean, if, if a particular contract, if you can't hammer it out, um, you get as close as you can, and then it goes to the arbitration process. And of course, you guys can't strike, uh, but you do have binding arbitration in this state. So whatever doesn't get negotiated, and again, stepping back, Having seen contract after contract, people need to understand that you will you will get there on ninety five percent of what you're negotiating. You'll eventually get to agreement, and there just might be one or two or a handful of issues that you can't get common agreement on. I hope you will, but if you can't, you go to a binding arbitration process, and an arbitrator issues a decision. That decision then comes to the legislature for an up and down vote per our statutory scheme about how collective bargaining works in this state. Um, and we can vote a, an agreement up or down. Even if we vote an agreement down, it goes back to arbitration, and we don't get a second bite in the apple. I mean, a second time around, it is actually imposed upon the state. I will say that in 10 years in the legislature or so, I, I have not seen that happen. So let's wrap up by looking beyond those contract negotiations. As you said, they will get resolved eventually. Um, but in this past year, um, we as the unions in Connecticut advocated for a state budget that would sure up those vital services that our members supply, um, you know, not just now, but looking down the road. And can you help us connect the dots on how new revenues are needed to fund Connecticut's future? As you know, the budgetary process is, can be a whole 
different creature. Um, and, and there's a lot of different elements to it. This has been a strange last year, I will say, right? You, you have the pandemic, and we were very much worried about um, what that was going to mean for state revenues, and it was a hit. But then we've had this dramatic turnaround with this uh, real increase in, in revenue coming in, um, particularly from tax receipts, and then you've got a lot of the pandemic relief money. So we're, we're starting from a good place in terms of the budget, you know, having a surplus, having money in the rainy day fund, having money to go to pay down uh, pension obligations, which just as a quick aside, I just want to mention so people understand this, right? Um, the pensions have been fully funded for at least, what, 10, 15 years now. What, what we are, when we talk about a pension obligation and a pension deficit in the state, we are talking about a deficit that results from prior administrations, before the current one, certainly, before the Malloy administration, Republican and Democrat, particularly Republican administrations, who did not fund pension obligations going forward look, we've, we, we've got to make sure there's, there's money there to continue to fund these critical services. I think we will continue to do that. We have been looking for new sources of revenue. We've got, for example, we just passed both the cannabis bill and the, and the gambling uh, bill that, that will, I think, lead to increased sources of revenue. That wasn't the reason we did cannabis, but it, it is certainly a, a benefit of it. Um, and down the road, I think you know that, that certain legislators like myself would like to see um, other revenue sources looked at, certainly when it comes to things like closing hedge fund loopholes and, and other, other um, sort of what we consider fair equity measures, we'd like to see those going forward. That's all part of the negotiated process. Representative D'Agostino, thank you for joining us today and for answering our members' questions. And we are so appreciative of your advocacy for union members, as we said before, but your knowledge, your views, and your experience in the legislature with us, and really for all you do for working people in Connecticut. Thank you. Thanks for having me anytime. I'm looking forward to coming back once the contracts are done. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, thank you, Kathy, for co-hosting this episode with me and engaging in the discussion with Representative D'Agostino. And thank you for uh, stepping up to be a leader in your local and for serving on AFT Connecticut's executive committee. It's certainly my pleasure, and I look forward to the work we're going to do. As we do at the end of each podcast, I want to thank our members for all they do and for listening. And I invite members to submit questions and suggestions for our next episode of AFT in Action. We will be talking about members' community engagement efforts to restore labor and delivery services in Wyndham. This decision to shut down these services not only impacted our members, but just as importantly, the well-being of the community as well. I would love to hear your thoughts. Please send comments by email to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign aftct.org. Or you can leave a voice message by dialing 860-257-9782 and asking for extension 116. That's 860-257-9782, extension 116. I am looking forward to including all of your voices. Thank you in advance for being heard. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too and help build the power of the UNI in union.